Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you. Um, great. I've been ready all morning with my Brittany mic. Just really enjoying it. Um, like genuinely. Um, well, happy Easter. Um, it's. Uh, I love preaching at Easter. I've done it once before. And uh, it's personally very beneficial for me. You spend a lot more time reflecting on the resurrection and what it means and its implications. And it just always means that I come into Easter much more ready um, to shows the benefits of really reflecting and reading the Bible, um, maybe more carefully than I do otherwise. But um, so happy Easter. Um, he is risen. This morning, someone said that, and I said, yay! <laughs> I said, supposedly that's the way to weed out the Anglicans. Um, there's really nothing wrong with Anglicans. We love them. Um, but as Kat mentioned, my name is Hannah, and if you don't know me, I am a regular here. I am here pretty much every single week of the year with my husband, Johnny, and my daughter, Maddie. And um, just before we uh, talk about the resurrection and go into um, the... Yeah, the theme of uh, this Easter Sunday. I just want to clear something up. Um, so earlier in the week, I was texting one of my um, a fellow mother here in the South Service, and she asked me to do a favor this morning, which was to clear up some confusion that her son was experiencing over kind of the theology of Easter. So he's basically convinced that there is an active um, friendship and collaboration between the risen Jesus and the Easter Bunny. Well. Um, I just have to confess that the only detail I'm going to go into this morning on that issue is that the risen Jesus is very much real and alive today, no children, and the Easter Bunny very much isn't. Um, that is where we're going to stop on that issue. I hope nobody's like confused about that. Hopefully they're all in kids' work if they are. Um, <laughs> you're welcome, Joe Chev. Um, well, uh, Easter is so exciting and so important because it really is the uh, climax day in the year for Christians in the church calendar. It's a day like no other. Uh, culturally, we make a bigger deal of Christmas, of course, but actually for the Christian, Easter is more significant. And actually, not just for the Christian, but in human history, Easter Sunday is a more significant day. It is a day that really changed the whole world because something happened, of course, on Easter Sunday that had never happened before and um, nobody was expecting until uh, the risen Jesus appeared, until the resurrection happened, even the disciples whom Jesus had told, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified at the hands of sinful men, I'm going to be in the grave for three days and then I'm going to rise again. Even as they're like experiencing the empty tomb and angels announcing it and seeing him, they're still um, really confused because only when they fully grasp what has happened does God's plan of redemption come together and make sense. Until that point, Christmas is a bit confusing. Like, why is Jesus here? Is he coming to um, establish the throne, the rule of God in a military way? Well, it's only in the resurrection that his death 
makes sense to us and to his followers. And it's a day that, as I said, really changed the world. It was, of course, the beginning of the Christian church, which to this day is one of the most influential and biggest world religions. And Jesus to this day remains um, arguably the most influential human being to have ever lived because of Easter Sunday. It's all because of this day and this event. Now, we are going to keep in with our Prince of Peace series. So we've been looking at the ways that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and how he brings peace into a tumultuous world and a world of, in some ways, of fear that we're living in and our tumultuous lives and sometimes our lives of fear. And of course, death is potentially or probably our greatest area of fear. It comes to every single human being and it is utterly unknown. We don't know exactly how it plays out. And therefore, it's, it's really a scary thing for us to think about or to encounter. So we desperately need a message of hope and peace in the midst of death and thinking about death we need the Prince of Peace. So we're going to be looking at how this Prince of Peace comes into uh, the death that we experience and that we will experience and brings hope and peace. Now, as some of us in this room, we don't need to be convinced that death is the ultimate enemy of human life. And that is because, sadly, even just hearing this morning, many of us will have personal experiences of the searing pain of losing someone that we love. It's too real for some of us. Unspeakable pain. We know that death robs us of days of joy and moments of joy with people we love. We don't need to be convinced that the world is not as it should be, that this doesn't feel right, this can't be the end, this can't be all there is. I think even um, if you're not, if you haven't had um, first-hand experience of losing someone to death, um, we are all actually on a trajectory towards death ourselves. Um, I think we, we're all aware of that. Sometimes when you're in your 20s, I think you're not yet, like if you haven't had experiences of death, you can live in kind of a bubble that, uh, you know, you're getting older, but you're still young. So I found this to be true in my 20s. You know, yeah, I'm aging, but I'm a young person. And like society tells you, you're a young person. Um, little things here and there, you are young. You're, you're, you're referred to as young. And then something happens when you turn 30. What is it about? I'm 32. I don't know, the last few years, just little nuances, little things that I can see I'm no longer viewed as a young person. I look in the mirror in the sunlight and I see gray white hair. What is this? And I realize my own body is aging. I am on a trajectory towards, uh, towards decay of my body. It's not heading towards youthfulness and uh, vitality, but I am unfortunately heading towards my body slowly wearing down and hair becoming white. Now, if you are in your 20s and, um, or 30s and, you know, you somehow don't have any wrinkles or any gray hair yet or haven't realized that you're aging, it hasn't hit you yet in your heart, I can recommend to you trying um, adult beginner ballet. 
This is what I have been doing, and it's a very sobering exercise to do um, <laughs> in more ways than just physical, you know, like for your soul, you'll realize you're getting older. Um, so I've been going for four months with my sister. We go every Monday night in Covent Garden, and it is utterly humiliating. I stretch every week. I like go home and I'm like dedicated. Johnny will speak for me. I'm very dedicated to my stretches. And still, I can't even touch my toes. Like I've made no progress in all that time, let alone all the, you know, arabesques and pirouettes and grand pliés and all that. I can't even touch my toes. It's so slow, the progress that I'm experiencing. And I definitely feel like uh, 10 years ago, when I took up new sports or new physical things, or even mental things, it didn't take me as long as it takes me now. So if you need to get in touch with the reality of your own aging, just sign up. Pineapple Studios, Monday night, 6 o'clock. I'll be there, in embarrassed as always. Um, <laughs> And it's not just our own bodies that are decaying and aging, but even the world around us. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen this new uh, Netflix uh, series, which is called Our Planet, this new David Attenborough um, series, which is beautiful, but also incredibly moving and incredibly sad, because in it, he's really highlighting the effects that climate change is having on creation, on the world around us. And in it, you see animals um, literally dying or suffering beca um, because of the effects of human activity and the things that we've done or are doing to the world. And um, it's been absolutely... Um, uh, well, really interesting just to see the emotional reaction that people are having to this documentary. Um, I read one article where it just listed all these tweets of people's real emotional sorrow and grief over the world changing and us losing some of cre the beauty of creation as it was. And just to say that I, I'm not at all saying that climate change is something we just need to accept and it's a trajectory we're headed towards. I think God calls us um, both with our bodies and with the world around us to always work towards healing and to be ambassadors of healing. And I think we should be uh, doing everything we can to reverse the effects of climate change. Um, but I think it's interesting in Romans 8, there's a verse which talks about a link between the physical creation and the state of human beings. It says, uh, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of God and glory of the children of God. Sorry. And I think that's in some ways, maybe some of what we're seeing, this link between the state of our physical creation that surrounds us and the state of our hearts, the state of humanity. There's this new psychological term called eco-anxiety. People, and it's uh, very much rising, people feeling anxiety, um, clinically um, anxious because of the state of the world around them, the state of our creation. The world is really not as it should be, is it? It's not what our hearts long for to see. We are grieved and saddened by what we see around us on so many levels. I think we really see this discontent in just general culture at the moment. 
Andy Tulsey talked a few weeks ago about the rise of these um, apocalyptic themes in films, and he put um, on the slide just all these pictures of uh, the, the posters of these films, and they're so dark and so sad and uh, always picturing destruction and the end. Also, politically and socially, we're experiencing such division and almost hatred between people groups. We're seeing increasing social divides, and people are sad. We see this narrative right through media and culture and the arts and film. Our world is hungry for a message of hope. This can't be all there is. This can't be what it's supposed to be like. And I work with uh, refugees and asylum seekers, so I'm encountering all the time then the kind of effects of the conflict that is going on all over the world, wars and uh, people needing to uproot huge numbers of groups of people needing to leave their homes and flee. When we look at certain situations and some of our own personal experiences, there's just no denying the brokenness of this world. We are hungry for a message of hope. And it's just so wonderful to be here this morning to remember that there is a message of hope into all of this darkness. And so I'm going to read um, an account in Luke of some of the resurrection. But I'd encourage you to, if any of that has resonated with you, that longing and that discomfort and that um, hunger for a message of hope, I would just encourage you to keep your hearts in that place and open as we read about the risen Jesus and what happened on that Easter morning. After I drink. <laughs> So I'm going to read in Luke 24, and I'm going to be skipping some verses to get through um, a lot of it, but it, all the words are up on the screen behind me. So starting at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stole rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Jumping to verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Clopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Verse 28, as they approached the village into which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus, um, this is now somewhere else with the rest of the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. Is I myself? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Amazing. <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. What an amazing story. What an amazing account that we read in Luke. He is not here. He is risen. Often this symbol for Easter is the rising sun, which casts light on everything as it rises that it comes into contact with. And so Jesus's resurrection is the heralding of the complete redemption that is to come of all of creation. As Tim said earlier, here we see that Jesus comes out of the grave and with him, death itself is defeated. The first resurrection ever of its kind. Nobody was expecting it. The disciples are so confused. You see, they've been told, they've seen him. They've seen the empty tube. They've seen a vision of angels. They see him himself and still because of joy and amazement, they can't believe it. It's like it's too good to be true for them. And it's too good to be true for us. Could it actually be true that this is not the end? That death is not the end? That this decay we experience in our bodies and in our world and in society is not the end? Well, Easter Sunday tells us it is not the end. And just to start... We talked a lot about those of us in this room who come with firsthand experience of death. And we heard Tim this morning telling us about a dear friend of our church whose daughter has been and, his, and her, her husband being killed just last week. And, and we're reminded that the resurrection meets us in our suffering 
The resurrection isn't some happy, clappy moment, a band-aid to stick on all the things that we're sad about. No, the resurrection is a story where God himself enters in to the rotting grave that is meant for us and into judgment that is meant for us and rises out of it and pulls us and our loved ones out of it. I was reading an article um, earlier this week um, on Christianity Today, which I love. Um, There are a few articles about the Easter weekend, and there was one, and the title just really caught me, and it was called, um, Easter Joy Belongs to the Melancholy. Easter joy belongs to the melancholy. It's such a juxtaposition, but so true. And the article talked about basically was comparing Christmas joy to Easter joy and saying Christmas joy is like it's childlike and it's full of wonder and awe and newness and excitement and it's um, fun and, you know, we get goosebumps and uh, give presents. It's like it's very childlike in nature, the joy. She was saying that Easter joy is so different. It's a matured joy. It's a weathered joy. It's a joy that's been through Good Friday and faced the grave and is tear-stained, doubled over in pain, but under it there is something so deep and a joy that goes so deep into our souls. I love this quote by Jürgen Moltmann, um, the theologian. He says, God weeps with us so that someday we may laugh with him. And that is the picture of Easter, isn't it? He weeps with us so that one day we may laugh with him. And it's like Easter is the beginning of the laughter. It's the, the, the beginning of the laughter that's come out of a weeping. And in the article at the very end, she, so she's talking about her own wrestle with, I feel like I'm supposed to be really happy at Easter Sunday, but because of things that she'd been going through and grief that she was experiencing, she just found it really hard to be like all joyful and happy on Easter Sunday. Um, but she realizes through this, um, this, uh, this comparison between Christmas joy and Easter joy that it's actually the apt place to be and that actually Easter joy belongs to the melancholy. And at the end, she says, this, in this act of return to her more authentic place of where she is of grief and sadness, joy comes wearing a different, darker guise, but it also appears deeper, better, and more miraculous than anything we could ever expect. It's as though our sorrow and disappointments and grief open up the door to the risen Jesus in a way that we can't experience when everything's fine in the world and we have everything that we want or hope for. We hunger for hope. So the resurrection speaks to us in our suffering that this is not the end. Death will not have the final word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death has been swallowed up in victory, in the victory of the resurrection. Death will not have the final word. And the second way that the resurrection affects our lives and our world is that it shows us our future. 
So we see Jesus, don't we, in those passages, and he has a body. He has, he walks along, he talks with friends, he's in community, he has scars that were his wounds, um, so it bears some resemblance to his old body. He eats broiled fish, it's probably not what I would want to eat after going through that, but he can enjoy food and savor it and taste it. Uh, in some ways, he's very much, the resurrected body is very much like ours now, except that it has powers and abilities um, that he didn't have in his earthly body. And I guess above all, he will never die again. Um, every other resurrection that we see in the Bible, the people are resurrected to their old bodies. One day they will die again, like Lazarus or Jairus's daughter. They're resurrected into the body that they had. And it's a body that's going to, again, experience death. But Jesus's resurrection is different because because he is resurrected into a body that will not experience death, that will live for all eternity. And that is your destiny. You can look at the risen Jesus and say, that is what is meant for me. That is what is coming for me. Philippians says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that we, they will be like his glorious body. We will be like him when we see him. And I don't know if you have lived with any kind of lies about your destiny and your future. Um, but on the cross, Jesus cries out, as we heard on Good Friday, he cries out, it is finished. It is finished is complete. And what he's talking about is the work that needed to be done by him on the cross so that your sin, your wrongdoing, your shame, even your sadness is finished with, is dealt with by him through his suffering on the cross. And this means that your destiny is not shame. Your destiny is not judgment. Your destiny is what you see in the risen Jesus. Your destiny is new life in an imperishable body, living in an imperishable, unshakable kingdom of God. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was going through a really dark season um, and I was really struggling, although I knew cognitively what the Bible said about my future to feel any kind of hope for my own future. I would just see real darkness every time I engaged with thinking about the future, which is a bit of a problem because we do need to think about the future. And I remember um, that Dave Stroud was visiting and we were standing right there and I was talking to him about this and he just looked at me and he said, your destiny is not death. Your destiny is to rule and reign with a risen Jesus forever and ever. And something in that moment, for some reason, lifted in me. It has stayed with me. Now often when I get pictures of myself in very dark situations in the future, which um, I guess may occur, I think above that thought, my destiny is not death. My destiny is to rule and reign in the, with a risen Jesus forever and ever. And that's true for you as well today. Am I supposed to finish at 11, by the way? Okay, good. Um, I just have not been keeping an eye on the time. Um, and very lastly, the way that the resurrection affects us and our world is that the resurrection brings us home. 
We talked about society and culture being very broken and creation itself decaying and that it brings us grief and sadness. But the resurrection announces to society, culture, creation, that what we are experiencing today is not the end. The Bible tells us that there is a time to come in the new kingdom, in the new creation, when we will beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, praise God, and they will not train for war anymore. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day, don't we? We are not happy with what we see around us. We are not satisfied. And Easter Sunday tells us this is not how it's going to end. Creation also will be liberated from its bondage to decay, we read in Romans 8. Just imagine looking at the most beautiful, breathtaking scene you've seen in your life in nature and realize that you're seeing nature in bondage to decay. Can you imagine what it will look like when it is liberated? The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for us. Jesus is heralding this Easter Sunday, the start of new life for us personally, a new creation and a new order. Maybe the band want to come back up. I don't know if you've heard this term, which is really helpful when we're thinking and talking about the things that we've been thinking about this morning, but the now and the not yet. So the the now, the world we're living in, and in Christian terms and theology, the not yet, the new creation, the new order, and the new life that we wait and hope for. And it's like the resurrected Jesus is the very first sign of the not yet. But as Johnny pointed out to me last night, He's not just the first sign, he's actually our bridge to the not yet. Through him, we get to the not yet. We're going to sing a few songs in a moment, but um, I felt that there might be two groups of people who might want to respond, and I don't know how you'll do this, maybe just in your own hearts, or if you come up um, at the end for prayer, but um, anyone, God, wanting to really bring uh, resurrection comfort and, and hope to anyone who is um, feeling particularly, um, I guess, grieved this Sunday morning and struggling to get through this Easter, that God is reminding you that Easter joy belongs to you. It's not for the people who are super happy and really excited and, you know, like children. Actually, no. Easter joy belongs to the weathered soul, to the one that is tear-stained and in pain, because this hope is for you. And lastly, anyone who would like to take a step towards knowing this risen Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed to him or uh, tried to get to know him, but you would like to. Um, I would just encourage you today to talk to someone and maybe pray with someone. Um, And he is so so, um, uh, excited, I guess, to meet with you and willing to meet with you and faithful to meet with you. So why don't we stand and I'll pray before we worship.
God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to weep with us so that one day we will laugh with you. Thank you that you've not left us, but that you are redeeming all things and you are redeeming us. And we thank you that you have given us a bridge to new life in your son who you sacrificed on our behalf. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are alive and well today, that you are not intimidated by the chaos and brokenness and pain of this world, but you are in control, you are on the throne, you will have the final word, and it is new life, new creation, and new order. I pray that as we worship, as we bring our hearts as we truly are, that we would meet true joy, rich joy, deep joy that touches the parts of us that actually really need to be touched. Come, Holy Spirit, as we worship. Amen.